Achieving a gorgeous grin from home isn't a total mystery with Byteclear aligners. Just don't be surprised if all of your sleuthing friends start asking, what's your secret? Begin by ordering your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95. Byteclear aligners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces. Plus, they offer flexible financing, accept eligible insurance, and you can pay with your HSA FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot com. Start your confidence journey today with Byte. Ah. The comfort of your favorite seat is now your comfy car-selling command center, thanks to Carvana. It doesn't get any better than this. Your favorite seat's the best spot in the house. Make it even better by entering your license plate or VIN and getting a real offer in minutes. There really is no place like home. And speaking of home, Carvana will pick up your car from yours after you finalize your offer. Visit Carvana.com or download the app and sell your car from your comfy place. This is the Tom Hartman Program. Tom Harbin here with you. One of the questions that has been on my mind is how women, keeping in mind that, you know, Donald Trump carried 53% of the white female vote. I think we know how African-American women are going to vote in this election. I mean, they've been among the most, you know, competent, brilliant, showing up activists, you know, against Donald Trump. Now that more of these stories have come out, the stories, I mean, we didn't even know until after the election about Stormy Daniels. We didn't know until after the election about Karen McDougal. I mean, it just, we had no idea, right? I mean, Donald Trump successfully buried that. He committed a crime in doing so, and that's why Michael Cohen is sitting in jail. And of course, Bill Barr's Justice Department is choosing not to prosecute Donald Trump for campaign finance violations, even though Michael Cohen got prosecuted for this. Trump is doubling down on race. He's betting that Nixon's Southern strategy, which was done subtly, relatively subtly by Nixon and and relatively subtly by Reagan, that Trump has taken to a whole new scale, new whatever you want to call it. Whether women are going to stay, whether white women in particular are going to stay with Donald Trump or not. Let me just lay out some of the details here. From women's point of view, beyond just the horrors of you know, his having affairs with a year-long affair with Karen McDougal, you know, a one-night stand with Stormy Daniels, all in the year that Melania gave birth to their youngest child. On top of all that, Trump is working aggressively to overturn the entire Affordable Care Act, which has multiple layers of protection for women with regard to health care in it. Preventative cancer screenings, I mean, it's just a whole spectrum of stuff, you know, birth control, the access to birth control, things like that, things that are worthwhile and work for women. He has aggressively pushed an agenda of not allowing women to choose whether or not to have an abortion. He has backed legislation that bans abortions after, after as little as six weeks. He just issued this gag rule that any doctor, any clinic, any organization that gets any federal funding that mentions abortion gets no more federal funding, you know, that, that even advises women that uh, abortion is, a, is an option if they're pregnant and don't want to be pregnant, that they, they lose their federal funding. And I think, frankly, this is what's behind the former president of Planned Parenthood losing her job. And that's kind of a whole other story. But Trump has done this. He's repeatedly sought to let employers opt out of the Affordable Care Act provisions that protect women specifically contraception, no-cost contraception. He has revoked, literally taken by executive order, undone protections against sexual harassment in the workplace. He has undone Obama-era executive orders to fix paycheck disparities. The Trump administration rescinded the campus sexual assault guidelines, which require colleges to take allegations of sexual assault seriously and hold perpetrators accountable. And then Mike Pence, I mean, his number two, Pence has led the White House agenda against the right to choose whether or not to have an abortion. He said he wants to put Roe v. Wade, quote, on the ash heap of history. He led the push, the administration's push, to defund fetal tissue research, which 
could lead to medical breakthroughs that could save all of our lives. Mike Pence, as governor of Indiana, tried to defund Planned Parenthood multiple times, and every single year he was in office signed an abortion ban. In Indiana, he signed a law to require that if you have a miscarriage, you must have a funeral or you must cremate the remains. This led to the whole periods for Pence thing, that, that hashtag that I think everybody's forgotten. For more than a decade, he's been probably the leading guy in Congress for a global gag rule. In other words, any organization anywhere in the world that we may be funding or helping out in any way that mentions abortion as, a, you know, as one, one of the options that, that are available to women in terms of you know, their, their health and reproductive freedom, no money from the United States. As governor, he signed a bill that made it harder for women in Indiana to just get the abortion pill, Mifepristone. He supported a bill in Congress to make it illegal f to cross state lines to get an abortion. Literally. Illegal. In Congress, he co-sponsored a bill that would allow hospitals to refuse to perform an abortion on a woman who needs one to live. Right? If the question is, does mom die and the baby lives, or does the baby die? At this point, it's not a baby, it's a fetus, but, you know, and, and mom lives. I mean, this decision, it's rare, but it happens. And Pence co-sponsored a bill, and this was mostly in support, I suppose, of Catholic hospitals, to say, no, mom gets to die. The baby's more important. He supported a federal ban on, abortion, on abortions after 20, 20 weeks. He co-sponsored a federal personhood amendment. He repeatedly voted against the Lilly Ledbetter Fair Pay Act in Congress. This is Mike Pence. He blamed career mothers for giving children, quote, the short end of the emotional stick. In other words, if you go to going to work, he wants to rewrite the tax code to punish women who work who have children. I mean, this is what Pence and Trump are really all about. So is the race card going to work for them? Is the gender card going to work for them? Good question. Beverly in McHenry, Illinois. Hey, Beverly, what do you think? Hi, Tom. Thank you so much for your program. I wanted to say Trump's got a shock and all value, obviously. He caught the attention of his base with his racist remark. That's what he wants. But he's wrapping it around this socialized agenda, tying us to that group. We know he's going to go down the socialist path. He may get a bump in the short term, but I think we need to be smarter. I'm hoping our elected officials are going to campaign a little different or get a little bit more bold. I would like to see us use some shock and awe like he does, just not nasty. Dare to go in plain language to give people another example, such as um, gerrymandered districts. It's not that they're safe districts, they're hostage districts. It gives Excellent them point, the ability to tell you one thing, knowing they're never going to have to take a vote on it. Yeah. Because you're going to have to vote with the donor. Show where it's McConnell's fault, like you're saying. Let's say, you know, Mitch, do your job. I mean, I'm hoping Elizabeth, I wrote some letters and them, start bringing some of these other examples up that I think would help us change the narrative. That's over socialism in all these programs. It's not more or higher educated, it's it's book smart and street smart, but mention that the overriding thing between all of us is common sense. And let's start trying to use some logic that get people to think. Don't listen to the bumping slogan. You know, who's to gain? I think we have a great opportunity here. I hope so. I hope so, Beverly. I hope so. And, and you know, some interesting points. Thank you very much for that. Judith in Chandler, Arizona. Hey, Judith, what's up? I'm thinking it's the Frank Bruni piece in the New York Times about whether Trump can win using race. And I absolutely think that, unfortunately, he can. This is not an integrated country. And we are far from having reached that point. And unfortunately, there are many uh, white Democrats who they may talk the talk, but don't walk the walk you know, when it comes to race. Yeah. Here's another question then, Judith. Given that I think two or three years ago was the first year that more babies of color were born in the United States than white, 
So we're seeing the browning of America happening right before our eyes. Might this be the last presidential election, or is it going to require 10 or 15 years? Some of that depends, because with color, I mean, there, there are, are differences, like you mentioned earlier, sure. you know, in the Hispanic communities, many Hispanics trend... Trump is still <laughs> pulling about 20% of Hispanics right now. Yeah, they're socially conservative and aren't necessarily focused on that. Yeah. They're more focused on the economic issues. So, I mean, I think we're getting closer to the point, but I don't know that he's... I certainly wouldn't say with any confidence that he's the last one. Certainly yeah. would hope he would be the last one, but... I uh, suspect you're right, Judith, and I hope you're wrong. And, you know, it's like watching a freak show here. Judith, thank you for the call. Gwendolyn in Rialto, California. Hey, Gwendolyn, what's up? Yeah, hi, Tom. Thank you very much for taking my call. Sure. What my major concern is, yeah, Trump is a racist, but the scary thing about him, because I am African-American, and I have been on a corner with my sign, impeach Trump. And at a time, I had someone, a white guy in a truck, call me a black nigger, go back to Africa. Oh, my God. So, yeah, so this is out there. And the thing I'm afraid of, and nobody gets on it to the point where they can see that he's stirring this type of people out. They're coming out in masses. Oh, they're not just coming out in masses. They're shooting people. They're killing people. Absolutely. But even more so to the point where it's going to create great habit in this country. And as you know, you spoke of of it before in terms of what's happening with fascism. There's always a group that always has to be demonized. Right, and fascism starts out as the merger of corporate and state interests, and we're already there. And then it starts using the demonization of individual groups to otherize people, to mobilize the majority. He's like in stage two right now of of, uh, fascist takeover. Oh, yeah. And not only that, I cannot believe, and the scary part about it, my brother-in-law and a lot of... My friend Hispanic, even my brother, they're for Trump. But see, they don't see, they think that they're not that black, you know, because they're lawyer, one's a lawyer, lunch, you know, is, you know, has quite nice money, you know. So they don't see themselves as those black people. Right. But they don't understand that the group that's actually out there, they're not going to come up and ask them, let me see your bank account. Let me see your position. So you're saying that the class divisions in the black community are cleaving politically? Yes. Wow. Yeah. Yeah, Yeah, it makes sense. it's unbelievable. And I tell my brother-in-law this all the time. How can you support a man that's emboldening a group that's going to come after you? How can you do that? How can a black person or people of color do that when they're emboldening a group of people which they're arming by arms, as you know, you hear it all the time, how these groups are recruiting, they're getting guns, they're getting rifles, they're looking, they're wanting another civil war, these people. Oh, and explicitly, explicitly. I mean, some, some, of these, some of these folks are absolutely open about it. And, you know, Tim McVeigh started this process, so, you know, following the Turner Diaries. Gwendolyn, I got to run, but thank you for the call and thanks for the information. Your insights and perspectives and your personal stories are all much, much appreciated and much valued. John in Hot Springs, Arkansas. Hey, John, what's on your mind today? Hey, Tom, it's wonderful talking to you. Thank you. I'm coming late to your show, but I just wanted to make a few points about what you said. You know, Trump's putting those uh, ads on Facebook. Most folks are leaving Facebook now, so I wouldn't even really listen to Eric Trump. And I think... Uh, well, young folks are leaving Facebook, John. There's actually... Older folks are actually joining to keep track of grandkids and stuff like that. I mean... You're it's, correct. Yeah, it's an interesting dynamic. The average age of Fox News viewers is 70. That's yeah. his market, is, is people probably over 40 and white people over 40, and they are on Facebook in huge numbers. I would think that bodes well for the future for America as well. <laughs> yeah, well, eventually, yeah. Uh, I would also say that, you know, we don't really want four more years of Trump. I mean, you just have to ask people that, and I think you'll get your answer. But I really, really wanted to talk about what Charles P. Pierce wrote in Esquire magazine about Justice Stevens, and it was a really good article, and he saw all this coming, is what the premise of the story is. And justice I, I, John Paul Stevens, the 99-year-old uh, former Supreme Court justice who just died. Yes, sir. And what Pierce said is he saw this coming with Bush v. Gore, you know, and we ended up with Trump. Oh, and Citizens you know, United. So. Read Stevens's dissents in Bush v. Gore and in Citizens United. They're oh. flaming. 
Yeah, and he was a you know a conservative Republican. Well, I don't know. He was a Republican. Yeah, he was. He, he was, was nominated like, by Richard Nixon. By Ford, who was unelected. Or Jerry Ford. You're right. And, I'm sorry. Thank you. Yeah. And so you know, it's it, and he was you know, you know, he came out eventually against the death penalty. Yep. You know, he was still conservative in some respects as regards to burning the flag, but it was, it's a great article by Pierce. Thanks for the tip. Okay. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. That's, that's fascinating stuff. Olga in Concord, California. Hey, Olga, what's on your mind? I don't think he's going to win with this strategy. Yes, he's talking to his base. Yes, he may be peeling off folks who have a higher income. But in order to do that, he's got to continue with his cult speak. And from the normal mind that's not bent, he's insane. And folks that are normal don't pop off like the crazies. Mm -hmm. So it sounds like there's more crazies out there. But even Republicans and even middle class, I mean, they see the heinousness of the result. And the reason why the House voted the way they did and there was such a reaction is because people don't want to be identified as racist, even if they are, you know, they don't want to be identified that way. So, yes, he's going to continue to speak to this cult, in cult speech, you know, like, oh, open borders, oh, abortion is killing babies, you know, after they're born and all this kind of crazy stuff. He's going to continue talking to them that way. But no, I don't think it's a winning strategy. I think people are getting disgusted. From your lips to God's ears, Olga. Thanks a lot for the call. Just came back from book tour, hauling, you know, basically a studio in a box onto airplanes and off airplanes and up into the overhead bins. And oh, geez, my back was hurting. I was so glad to have New Leaf Natural CBD oil. It's spectacular. Uh, CBD oil is non-intoxicating, which makes it ideal for people seeking the health benefits of cannabinoids without the mind-altering effects of medical marijuana. CBD is also non-toxic and has potent pain-relieving and anti-inflammatory properties. The brand Louise and I trust the most is New Leaf Naturals. NU Leaf Naturals. New Leaf Naturals is the highest quality CBD oil on the market. It's 100% organic, it's highly concentrated, contains no additional additives, and it's grown in the United States. Its only ingredient is hemp, so it remains in its most pure and simple form. Go to newleafnaturals.com, that's N-U-LeafNaturals.com, and save 30% off and get free shipping in the U.S. when you use the code TOM, spelled T-H-O-M. Go to newleafnaturals.com for premium cannabinoid wellness. There's only one place, newleafnaturals.com. Our book today is Can We All Be Feminists? It's a collection of essays edited by Jane Eric Udori. First essay is from Charlotte Shane. It's called No Wave Feminism. If you feel like feminism is failing you, you're not alone. I sometimes have the impression that I'm as thoroughly feminist as I am thoroughly human. The feminism is as intrinsic to my constitution as my skeleton is to my body. But in my 35 years, I've struggled with or outright rejected feminism on several occasions. First, as an ignorant adolescent, what do women need feminism for if they already got the vote? Then, as a sex worker who saw how regularly and even gleefully feminists stoked the public's long-standing antipathy toward professionally sexual women. And now again, as someone moving even further into the far left, who cannot abide the forms of feminism that embrace and are complicit with the worst aspects of liberalism. The more I learn about the intersecting oppressive forces that continue to shape the Western world, colonialism, patriarchy, capitalism, xenophobia, and racism, and the network of cruel social machinery to which these systems give rise, incarceration, crippling debt, disenfranchisement, deportation, and so on, the less sense it makes to use gender as the primary lens through which to regard human-engineered suffering. Feminism doesn't feel like the sharpest weapon to wield against white supremacy or border policing, for instance, or even the best tool with which to approach basic civic concerns like vibrant schools. That's not because those issues don't impact women. Obviously, they directly and indirectly impact many. But they don't necessarily impact women more or in dramatically different ways than they do men. In other words, the most significant challenges these issues present aren't tethered to one's sex. And so prioritizing gender above other aspects of identity limits one's realm of ethical responses. 
Here's an example. American prisons often keep female prisoners shackled while they give birth. There are variations on the theme. Some women are shackled during labor. Some are unshackled, but then shackled again almost immediately afterward. And almost all are shackled while heavily pregnant. There's some variation of what shackling entails, too. It can mean being cuffed at the wrists or at the ankles or both, or cuffed to a hospital bed or chained at the waist. Articulating these details makes the sadism even starker. A class action federal lawsuit in 2017 alleged more than 40 women at the Milwaukee County Jail suffered this horror. It was preceded by lawsuits in 2014 and 2016 against that same jail for similar practice. But the appalling practice is hardly confined to one city or one state. In 2015, New York prisons were found to be shackling prisoners in labor in spite of a state law that made it illegal to do so. And according to a 2016 report by the Prison Birth Project and Prisoners Legal Services of Massachusetts, jails and prisons in Massachusetts were guilty of similar violations. Most feminists probably agree that this is a feminist issue. The topic accordingly receives coverage on feminist websites and sometimes in women's magazines. But does a feminist obligation to attend to the rights of the imprisoned extend only as far as pregnancy and labor? Is it a feminist issue when a non-pregnant woman is shackled? Or when she is caged for years and exploited for her labor, denied face-to-face visits from loved ones, held captive in a compound in the name of, quote, justice? If the answer to these questions is yes, then it is also a feminist issue. Then is it also a feminist issue when men are shackled during various health emergencies? Seizures, say. In 2014, a male inmate in Colorado died after undergoing several seizures while in restraints and receiving no medical treatment. Is it a feminist issue when incarcerated men are denied the right to visit with family or exploited for their labor? Is it a feminist issue when so many men are raped while in prison? Or does feminism's responsibility begin and end with gender-based mistreatment? The feminists hired by prominent media outlets often advocate for measures that would result in higher levels of incarceration. They write op-eds in favor of further criminalization around sex work and call for longer prison sentences for men convicted of assault, which we've known for decades is not necessarily synonymous with men who committed the crime. They also disturbingly relish the theater of sentencing, like that enacted by Judge Rosemary Aquilinia, who told serial sexual abuser Larry Nassar that if she could, she would allow some or many people to do to him what he did to others. So sexual violation is an atrocity unless it happens to the right person. They capitalize on women's justified fear and anger around mistreatment by men to shore up the status quo, to suggest that our current problems are not the result of fundamentally unjust institutions, but rather institutions that are only incidentally sexist. That means that those same institutions could become less so with the right adjustments, like more draconian sentencing for crimes against women or more female judges. The prison system is racist and brutal by design, not by accident or mismanagement. Just as the court system regularly fails the most vulnerable because it was built to protect the powerful. The challenge of the 21st century is not to demand equal opportunity to participate in the machinery of oppression, revolutionary thinker Angela Davis has written. Rather, it is to identify and dismantle those structures. Yet leveraging our existing legal system for criminalization remains the go-to strategy for most feminists when it comes to dealing with objectionable behavior. The book, Can We All Be Feminists? It's a collection of essays edited by Jane Eric Udori. Tom Hartman here with you. The uh, questions for the hour, I guess, are racism, sexism, misogyny, cover-ups, crimes, is Trump going to be able to make through this? And, and, and frankly, I think even a larger issue is what about the rest of the Republican Party? Bob Ney was on earlier, the congressman, former congressman from Ohio, um, now a reporter. And, you know, he was a Republican congressman. He's no longer Republican, won't have anything to do with the party. But, you know, he maintains friendships with a lot of these guys. And he's like, you're going to start seeing Republicans peeling off if Trump continues this racist rhetoric. And in all probability, he's going to. And then we've got the story that a federal judge has ordered that all the documents that had to do with the investigation into campaign finance violations, for which Michael Cohen is now sitting in prison because Donald Trump ordered him to pay off Karen McDougal and Stormy Daniels, that all the documents that the prosecutors were using in that case be made public. And the Trump administration was arguing that they shouldn't be made public, and in fact, they should be heavily redacted. And the judge said, no, that ain't going to work. So is that all going to be enough? 
or not? Or is it going to be socialism? Trump is trying to paint the entire Democratic Party as the squad. This morning, I turned on the TV and it was, there was MSNBC and Stephanie Rule was on and she asked the question, and I, this is not necessarily verbatim, but it's close. Will the squad, will these four women succeed in pushing the entire Democratic Party to the extreme left or the far left or whatever phrase she uses? Which just, you know, makes my head explode. In fact, I moved, I, you know, I, I, I changed networks at that point. You know, I'm just so sick of hearing this BS. The, the extreme left, really? I mean, defending Medicare? Defending Social Security, having health care for all. This was something that was introduced. Health care for all, by the way, was first proposed, introduced into Congress by Harry Truman. So we're talking about Harry Truman as the extreme left? Is the socialism thing going to work for him? I'm concerned. Ronnie in New Berlin, Wisconsin. Hey, Ronnie, what's up? Hey, uh, so I never had this thought until today, which kind of scares me. We're talking about what's going to work for the Republican voters, if the racism would scare them away or bring them in, or the word socialism. And my entire family is Republican. We're all Wisconsin Synod Lutheran, which is the very far-right Lutheran. Mm -hmm. I have that same faith, but I'm a Christian Democrat, and they are Christian Republicans. They think I'm crazy and misguided, but uh, I think they are also. So anyway, what I think is going to happen. They did not vote for Trump. They voted up the line. Mm -hmm. And I'm afraid that this time they, they stopped at Trump. My husband and my entire family said I could not vote for him. I am afraid because he is taking these stands against abortion and gay marriage. Those are their big things, because yeah. uh, that's all that the religious people care about. I think this time they just might hold their nose and vote for him. Because, yeah. you know, of the things that he says he's going to do or the things he says he is doing, the things that he actually has done with Jeffrey Epstein and these women and the strippers and everything else, yeah. it's like they didn't exist or they didn't happen or, I don't know, I'm, I'm really afraid because today it dawned on me, my family might vote for him. By yeah. the way, I mean, look at what Mike Pence did. Mike Pence, when he was governor of Indiana, pushed for and then signed legislation that required women who have miscarriages to have funerals. Right. Yeah. I mean, can you imagine yeah. the, the, the torment of, I, you know, Louise and I had a miscarriage. Louise had the miscarriage. I mean, I, um, and uh, between our first and second child. And it was uh, gut-wrenching. It was an emotional horror thing. And to have the police show up and ask if we're going to have a funeral or not or threaten to put us in jail if we didn't, for the miscarriage or oops, it went down the toilet. Um, right. You know, exactly. Because I mean, a, you I know, a miscarriage is, is like a hard period in the first month or so. Right. It's just mind boggling. And, and, you know, the courts blocked that. But Mike Pence actually got that, you know, through in Indiana. And this uh, it's incredible. Yeah. Ronnie, thank yeah. you for your comments. Good to hear from you. Marta in Big Bear Lake, California. Hey, Marta, you had some thoughts on strategy? Yes, I believe that like Barack Obama and Bernie Sanders, we need to talk to the issues that people care most about and also aspirational, especially if we want to get the Gen X and young millennials to vote. We need to uh, talk about the issues that most affect their lives and talk about uniting Americans. I don't believe there is an on-off switch for racism, not racism. I know a lot of Democrats that hold bigoted views. And I was a bilingual teacher, and I saw the African-American parents and the Latino parents not even look each other in the eye. Most people are not either racist or not racist. It's, you know, those are two it's extreme a spectrum, binaries. Yeah. In other words, so, uh, that's a good point. I think Bernie's strategy, which I agree with, is to just be honest and then now he's making some distinction that for people of color, the health care crisis is even a lot worse. So uh, quick facts. One out of five children goes to bed hungry every night and goes to school hungry in, in the America. morning. 30,000 Americans die every year for lack of health care, even with Obamacare. Mark Pocan said to me on your show that Wisconsin went from blue to red because of one issue, and that was trade. Medicare is unaffordable. It's becoming more and more privatized, and I wish Bernie would even point that out. Medicare for all would save trillions. Right now, we spend 
19% of our GDP. Other modern countries spend 8% or 9%. We well, would yeah. save trillions and spend 12% by covering everybody, including seniors. Yeah. Yeah, all excellent points. Excellent points, Marta. Thank you very much. And and these are things that we talk about regularly on this program, and I wish the corporate media would talk about more frequently, frankly. Is it going to be possible that Trump can eclipse all of that conversation by just throwing out another racist rant? I think it is possible. Many investors are asking, how long will this economic bubble last? When the inevitable crash takes place, what will that look like for your retirement? Will you have enough time to rebuild, or are you currently looking for ways to safeguard your existing portfolio? If the worst happens, it won't just be the markets and real estate. With the Fed's nonstop money printing, a dollar collapse is even more concerning. There are simple charts the Federal Reserve provides to help us investors make educated decisions. Google the FRED chart on the purchasing power of the dollar and look at the data yourself. Also take notice that the last 100 years of recessions have consistently occurred within 10 years from each other. The last recession was in 2008. What does that tell you? Gold and silver are statistically the best hedge against volatile markets and economies. Call my friends at ITM Trading at one own gold Ask them for their free gold protection guide and protect your future while you still can. Call one own gold That's 1-888-O-W-N-G-O-L-D. Hi, it's the Tom Hartman Book Club with the Tom Hartman University, and today we're reading from Threshold, The Progressive Plan to Pull America Back from the Brink. I'm reading from the preface. This is page XIII. The world right now is tottering atop three major thresholds, an environment that is so afire that it may soon no longer be able to support human life, an economic free market system that is almost entirely owned, run, and milked by a tiny fraction of 1% of us and has crashed and in many ways is burning around us, and an explosion of human flesh on the planet that has turned our species into a global petri dish just waiting for an effective agent to run amok. Four mistakes have brought us to this point, and the failure to recognize them at their deepest level will only push us faster toward total tipping points where we are thrown over the three thresholds and into disaster. All four of these mistakes are grounded in our culture, our way of thinking, our way of seeing the world, the stories we tell ourselves about who we are and why we're here. The first mistake is a belief that we're separate from nature. Our religions tell us that we were created by a supernatural being who is not part of this earth and not from this planet. He set us apart from all other life and many among us, perhaps even the majority of the six billion of us, roughly seven billion now, don't even believe that we are animals, but instead think we're a totally unique life form. The second mistake is a belief that an abstraction an economic system is divine and separate from us. This mythical so-called free market, so we believe, operates under its own divine rules and is entirely and eternally self-regulating. It is always right. The fact that worldwide it's more than 95% owned and run by fewer than 0.000001% of us is just the way things are, always were, and always will be. We are here to serve the economy, this belief goes. It's not here to serve us. The third mistake is a belief that men should run the world and that women are their property. While it may seem that women's rights are well advanced and society is nearly egalitarian in the developed world, the United States, Western Europe, and Australia combined are only about a quarter of the population of the world. In India, it's still a common rural practice for men to burn their wives to death simply because it's more convenient than divorce. In many Arab countries and across much of Africa and South America, it's not uncommon for women to be murdered by their families if they dishonor the family by not going along with an arranged marriage or not being a virgin at time of marriage. Even in the first world, women are routinely excluded from positions of power in the world's largest institutions, such as the Catholic Church. This is one of our biggest mistakes, not just because it's morally deficient or because it can be biologically challenged, but because its primary result is an explosion in population. The fourth mistake is a belief that the best way to influence people is through fear rather than through the power of love, compassion, or support. We stand baffled when Palestinians in Gaza vote for a political party that has a long history of terrorist activity, somehow completely overlooking the fact that that same group has been feeding people, building schools and hospitals, and providing old age and widow pensions to people in need. 
We think we can threaten and bomb people into liking us and behaving in ways consistent with our best interests while ignoring their own best interests. We have come to believe that we are not our brother's keeper, that we are separate from all other humanity on the planet, and in all that, we are mistaken. Civilizations have come and gone, and those long gone vanished mostly because they despoiled their commons, allowed small elites to control their economies and governments, and lived in ways that were unsustainable. Those who survive for centuries or millennia are the ones that learned how to protect their commons, engage in non-toxic commerce and governance, and organize their cultures and lifestyles in ways that could continue in the same place and the same way down through the ages. If we don't learn the lessons of the latter, we shall face the fate of the former. The book is Threshold, the progressive plan to pull America back from the brink. Dan in Lumberton, New Jersey. Hey, Dan, what's up? How can the average person somehow influence the electoral college so he doesn't win again? What you're talking about are what are called faithless electors, because we don't actually vote for president. We vote for an elector who will then vote for president. And there have been you know, fewer than a dozen times in the history of the United States when electors have refused to vote for the candidate that the people who elected them elected them to vote for if that sounds clumsy, but I don't know how else to say it. I don't think that that's going to work, Dan. I, you know, I get the plea. I get the strategy. You know, save America. This was the whole idea, part of the idea of the founders. This is basically what uh, Hamilton lays out in, uh, I think it's Federalist 52. It's in the Federalist Papers. It might be 26, what, whatever it is, or, or 25. But, and Hamilton said, you know, this would prevent that the Electoral College was designed to prevent, quote, a person of low character, end quote. I mean, ah. that, this is literally Hamilton's words from ever climbing to the office of the presidency. That was the whole point. And yet, here we are. So I, I just I just don't think that's going to work, Dan. I, you know, I, so there I, can't be a... I'm sorry to keep talking, Tom. Yeah, but, so there good. can't be some kind of a low-level strategy that doesn't have the popular vote more than him and then he wins again in the Electoral College? Yeah, well, no. <laughs> you know, unfortunately. Okay. I mean, if this was a, a strategy that was workable, I guarantee you that the Republicans would have tried it a long time ago. But, you know, good luck. Good try. Uh, thanks a lot for the call. Michael in Winter Haven, Florida. Hey, Michael, what's up? Hi, Tom. One of the ways that Donald Trump can win the election for sure is to not debate. And if I'm not mistaken, between 1964 and 1980, there were no televised presidential debates. And since his backers watch Fox News, and I've talked to some of these people, they have no idea of the things that you say and even some of the mainstream media yeah. say. He really does not have to debate anybody, does he? He's not obligated to do that, is he? That's correct. That's correct. And you raise an interesting question, Michael, and I've not heard, to the best of my knowledge, peep one out of the Trump campaign about whether, I mean, you know, he's made offhand comments about, you know, yeah, I look forward to debating so-and-so. But I think that you may be onto something. It wouldn't surprise me if they simply said, you know, no, we don't need to debate. We're going to spend, you know, a hundred million bucks on Facebook ads that nobody will ever even know about. It'll all fly under the radar and we're going to win the same way we won last time with this kind of stuff. I think we have to watch out for that because I think he'll keep his base that is, I hate to say this, but, you know, not very knowledgeable. Right. And he won't lose them. Yeah, well, it's not just that they're uninformed, they're malinformed, they're misinformed. They're lied to on a regular, on a literally daily basis by Fox News and by Right Wing Hate Radio. We'll have to see how it shakes out, Michael. It's going to get interesting. Thanks a lot for the call. Welcome back. Tom Harmon here with you. Let's check in with Talk Media News and find out what's going on in the world today. This report brought to you by GoatsfortheOldGoat.com and Loving What You Do, new book by Ellen Ratner. On the line with us is Bob Nay, the author of Sideswipe, former uh, congressman from Ohio. Bob, what's going on in the world that we need to know about? I'm, I'm guessing at the top of your list is the are the revelations of, of the criminal conspiracy that was engaged in between Donald Trump, Michael Cohen, Hope Hicks, and David Pecker. Well, I actually have that. I did want to get to a, a, a piece of bright news, though. Okay. Although some people may say, well, what did they do this for? But the minimum wage was increased and indexed in a House bill, which passed 231 to 199. Uh, the bill actually was around, Tom, around March or April, but then they were having some trouble with some moderates in the 
House Democratic Caucus, but they solved you know all the all the problems with it. And the reason I started out, some people say, well, why do it? It's not going to pass the Senate. But here's the point to it, and I've seen this before in my time in the House. Look, it doesn't matter what the Senate will do or will not do on this. If the House passes it, first of all, it's a working person's agenda, and they've actually done something to be able to say, look, we've done this. This is the if Democrats pass, in the House, Nancy yes, Pelosi. Democrats yes. in the House, because a lot of people say, well, what's the use of doing it? Well, there is a use to it. First of all, they would be promoting a working uh, person's agenda. It would take it up by 2025 to $15 an hour. It would be indexed uh, after that to a certain wage continuing on. And the other thing is that if they pass this now and then they are successful in retaking the Senate, it should be made a point that it's that much easier on the opening day to do this again. So things they do this year, whether they pass the Senate or not, because they can't stake everything on Mitch McConnell, will make their uh, the, the Democratic agenda a lot better to be able to actually move things as time goes on. Hmm. So I just wanted to point that out because okay. a lot of people do say that to me. Why, yeah. you know, why should yeah. they? Well, uh, yeah, you're, you're you're basically setting the place. You're setting the table here. Correct. Yep. And so the FBI did have uh, search warrants, and they were looking for what type of the Southern District of New York was looking for. You know, what was involved with uh, Hope Hicks, who used to work for the president, and the president and Cohen involved in any type of situation of a cover up with the money you know paid to Stormy Daniels. And right. I think then also the and this started on October 9th, the day after the Access Hollywood tapes dropped. Trump apparently got on the horn and said, "Hey, <laughs> there's a couple of women who who are uh, willing to talk about affairs they had with me. Let's pay them off." Cohen ran with it. Becker took one of them, Karen McDougal, and paid her off, and Michael Cohen paid off Stormy Daniels. And they had multiple phone calls about it, including the phone call on the day that the check finally cleared, which was, I think, October Correct. 29th. This was, you know, a week before the election. Right. Donald Trump engaged in a massive illegal cover-up. Now, you were a member of Congress. If you had done that when you were in the House of Representatives, what would have happened? Would you have gone to jail? Well, I can tell you right now, I uh, filed a form that was not correct on, on the money, and I went to jail for that. So, And I actually filed the form. I did not not file it. You were involved in the whole Jack Abramoff thing, and right, you went to correct. jail for a campaign finance violation, which was small compared yes. to what Donald Trump, would, we just saw the documentation on what he did. Right. So to answer your question, of course, I would have went to jail a lot longer than I went for for the golf trip. No question about that of the filing. Yeah. Anybody would. I mean, if a person utilized their campaign money, a member of Congress, to actually pay off somebody involving a situation where they were either being blackmailed or a sexual situation or anything, that is a big use of personal use of campaign funds, which is the number one no-no in a campaign. Yeah, and if I recall from reading your book, Sideswipe, you went to jail over what was around 5000 bucks, and you didn't even realize that it was happening? Right. There was a difference of $5,000 on a form that I filed. Actually, Tom, if I had not filed the form, I would have been okay, but filing the form caused the problem, and then uh -huh. it's a, a fraud, and it's, right. it's a fraud on a federal document. So if you look at this... This is clearly fraud on a federal document because they had to follow back up. Remember, when you're in the campaign, you have to list what you spend and your expenditures right. of the campaign. I don't think covering up a sexual situation was ever listed on the campaign accounts. Yeah, somehow I doubt it. I Whereas that, right? you actually listed, yes, I went to I went to Scotland and played golf with Jack Abramoff, and boom, they right. came after you. And I think right. they came after you because, frankly, the you spoke Farsi, you'd lived in Iran, you'd worked in Iran, and the Iranians came to you and said, we would like to recognize Israel and cut a deal with the Bush administration. And you passed that information along to the Bush State Department, and boom, a few months later, they were throwing your butt in jail, if I'm remembering you know, correctly. Cheney was unhappy, and it involved Dallas Fisher, who did the uh, waterboarding cover-up for Alberta Gonzalez. I wrote a whole chapter on it called The Perfect Storm. I did some dumb things, but then, you know, of course, there were some other uh, influences there. But yeah. I think it clearly points out that, you know, people have been convicted for different discretions and campaign finance discretions over the years. This one, the FBI sought the warrant because of involvement and collusion. So I don't understand why something didn't lead to a charge being filed on the FEC, the Federal Elections Commission. That's well, apparently that's the direction it was going until Bill Barr became Attorney General. And within three weeks of his becoming Attorney General, they dropped all the charges. In fact, they stopped the investigation. Right. The Trump Organization was supposed to be deposed. And they suddenly said, oh, we don't need to talk to you. 
So Correct. Bill Barr cover-up artist strikes again. Bob, we got 30 seconds. What else is up? Oh, I wanted to mention about the rally. Even some right-of-the-right right bloggers have called it disgusting, you know, what was said there. But I also want to point out, knowing strategy in the Republicans and, and the Trump administration, he likes this. He likes the engagement of Trump versus the squad versus Pelosi, and it's almost like he's trying to hijack the Democratic primary at this point in time by keeping this. This is not the end of it. You will see more of him trying to make this about him during the Democratic primary for president. Amazing. Amazing. Bob, uh, always great talking with you. Bob Nay, thank you. Uh, thank you so much. And his book is Sideswiped, you. if you want to read all about it. It's an amazing book. I mean, he lays out actual crimes that John, what is it, John Boehner, Bob? Committed? John Boehner. Yeah. Actual crimes that you're willing to testify to. You write it in the book. I'm yes, willing sir, to testify. I, I would tomorrow. Yep, there you go. Thank you, Bob. Thank you. As the summer is heating up all across the country, it can be tough to sleep during a heat wave, even if you have air conditioning. You know, get this, there's actually a bed that actually keeps you cool through the whole night, no matter how hot it is outside. It's called the Pod. It's from a company called 8sleep. This brand new technology is really remarkable. It's a E-I-G-H-T sleep. And it's the first and only bed with responsive surface technology designed to keep you cool all night long. The pod is like the Tesla of beds. It dynamically adjusts the pod each side of the bed to the ideal temperature for your body, which science shows can help you sleep deeper, leading to optimal mind and body performance. You'll find that 8sleep is a company dedicated to building the most innovative solutions for sleep's biggest problems. And with the pod, they're delivering. You'll never have to suffer through sweaty hot nights ever again. If you're ready to beat the sweat and start optimizing your sleep, Head to 8sleep.com slash Tom. That's E-I-G-H-T sleep.com slash T-H-O-M. Try the pod for 100 nights, and if you don't love it, they'll refund your purchase and a range of free pickup. They've already sold out their first two batches. They're going fast. For a limited time, get 150 bucks off your purchase when you go to 8sleep.com slash Tom. E-I-G-H-T sleep.com slash Tom. You're listening to Tom Hartman. BuzzFlash, by the way, BuzzFlash.com has been relaunched, a website that our old buddy Mark Carlin used to run. He's running it again. In fact, it was founded back in 2000, 19 years ago. And the top story, Trump goes full demagogue at Wednesday night campaign rally, leads crowd in chilling chant of send her back, fascism on the rise. So, I mean, this is just like major full fascism. I, you know, I don't know how to describe it beyond that. And it is... I think a really, really dangerous thing. You know, keep in mind, we have had a number of murders. Trump went after the press. Uh, this guy walks into a newspaper up in the upper Midwest. I, my recollection of it was in Wisconsin. I may be wrong on that. It's been, it's been a year or more. It walks in and kills four journalists. You know, Trump goes off on people of color. Dylan Roof walks into this church in North Carolina and shoots a bunch of parishioners, including a state senator. The Tiki Torch guys come out and, you know, this guy who just got, you know, 400 years in jail for it kills Heather Heyer. I'm really concerned that Donald Trump is going to get AOC, in particular Ilhan Omar, killed. These members of Congress. And when he does his Nuremberg rally stuff, you know, and, and this is what it sounds like. Omar laughed that Americans speak of Al-Qaeda in a menacing tone and remark that you don't say America with this intensity. You say Al-Qaeda makes you proud. Al-Qaeda makes you proud. You don't speak that way about America. And at a press conference just this week, when asked whether she supported Al-Qaeda, that's our enemy. That's this this is Trump going on. This they is the press conference where, where uh, you know, Omar was asked, do you love America? And she said, I'm not even going to dignify that question. And so here's here's this this she fool. Refused she, she refused to answer. She refused to answer that question. Yeah, just just stop it right there. I, I really don't want to hear Donald Trump anymore. It makes me want to puke. So anyhow, I think he's trying to get her killed. And all these people are chanting, send her back, send her back, send her back. This this is like the friggin Nuremberg rally. Lindsey Graham comes right out and says what it's all about. 
right? In a way. What he's saying is, oh, it's not her race. It's that she's a liberal. You get that? Or maybe he's trying to say it's that she's a Muslim. Except that Trump is going after AOC as well, who's Catholic. So I think it's got to be liberals. I mean, he said, you know, if she was wearing a MAGA hat, she'd be welcome to the White House. Because they just, you know, love the occasional black person who's willing to show up at a shot with Donald Trump. This is obscene. And meanwhile, you know, the 9-11 victims, the, uh, the guy who testified before Congress a couple of weeks ago died. You know, he was on his, literally on death's door. He had been on this program years ago, along with his best friend who died right after he was on this program. And the 9-11 Victims Compensation Fund, you know, when Rand Paul and Mike Lee were all gung-ho for the tax cut, they didn't care if it was paid for. But now that we're going to help out 9-11 victims, oh my God, it, this, this thing has not been paid for. How can we set aside a few million dollars for these poor victims who are dying left and right, who, who rushed to 9-11 to help out, when we haven't paid for it? These screaming, flaming, bloody hypocrites. I mean, if you might want to call Rand Paul or Mike Lee, the number is 202-225-3121 for the Senate switchboard. And let them know what you think about that. Jeff in Portland, Oregon. Hey, Jeff, thanks for listening to X-Ray FM. What's up? Thanks for taking my call. I'd like to ask you a question regarding an impeachment inquiry. But if I might just preface it really quickly by reinforcing a point you've been making recently that uh, Trump's Republican Party, it's not an anomaly. It's, it's a natural progression beginning with Nixon's Southern strategy and its reboot with Reagan in Philadelphia, Mississippi, and now culminating with this white national fascist we have. So we can walk and chew gum at the same time. We have to acknowledge the economic pain caused by the neoliberalism that Trump's campaign gave lip service to and call him out for being a fraud and liar by not doing anything about it once he got in, actually exacerbating that pain. You know, at the same time, make sure we get a candidate who offers bold solutions like Medicare for All, Green New Deal, uh, and pro-union, and a pro-union agenda, et cetera, et cetera. Um, but, Tom, concerning an impeachment inquiry, uh, Eugene Robinson wrote a great piece in July 11th, Washington Post, titled, An Impeachment Inquiry is, is Risky, Not Opening One is Riskier. And then uh, in a New York Times op-ed last week titled, What Will It Take for Democrats to Unite Behind Impeaching Trump? Michael Conway, who served as a counsel for the House Judiciary Committee during Watergate, he wrote, and I quote, uh, party unity coalesced only after House leadership authorized Peter Rodino of New Jersey, the Judiciary Committee chairman, to conduct a thorough six-month impeachment investigation, right. unquote. Right. So my question for you, Tom, can Speaker Pelosi authorize this without a vote or have the rules changed? And either way, why isn't Speaker Pelosi doing more to whip up the votes rather than just sit back and vote count? Nancy Pelosi would have to answer those questions, Jeff. My personal sense of it is that she's afraid of political blowback. Um, there's this mythology that the, that the Nixon, uh, excuse me, that the uh, Clinton impeachment hurt Republicans and worked to the benefit of Democrats. I don't believe it. I think Al Gore won the 2000 election. I think he won it in Florida. The New York Times reported that a year later, but it was, you know, a month after 9-11. So both the New York Times and the Washington Post reported that when they counted all the votes in Florida, Al Gore actually won. But they played it down because they didn't want to delegitimize George Bush a month after 9-11, uh, which is when they finally added it all up. So I think that she's believing this old mythology. It's, it's the only explanation that I can come up with. And... You know, she's just trying to count votes. And, and this is your point, Jeff, is that that's a pretty passive stance. And Yeah, my point, every day we're seeing an assault on our democratic institutions yeah. by this guy. And, well, it's, and, time, it's time to not only call your member of Congress and ask if they are on the record supporting a, an impeachment inquiry. And you're, you're absolutely right. It was Peter Rodino starting that back in 73, 74, whatever the year was, that really got the, the ball rolling. Whether she supports that, number one, and number two, and calling Pelosi's office as well. Those are the two things to do. Jeff, thanks a lot for the call. We'll be back. Welcome back. Tom Harbin here with you and uh, Richard in Naples, Florida. Hey, Richard, what's up? Good afternoon, Tom. So good to have you on this air. 
it's it's one last hope. Thank you. Uh, listen, Tom. I, I my idea is that what we need to do is to make sure that we have a focus when we talk about uh, Trump. And 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 one focus that I think would resonate is to just compare him to Hitler. I mean, when Hitler took power, uh, as you know, he, there wasn't he didn't come in there with great ideas. It wasn't that people read his book and said, "Oh, yeah, that's a great idea." He just found a vacuum and and fell into it and and that's exactly what but ki- Hitler killed millions of people Republican and and Trump Sorry? has arguably killed five or six uh, kids you know who tried to cross the border uh, I, I just I you know the I, I get you know that that the playbook is very very similar I get that this is how fascists rise to power I get that that might even be the end point of what's happening here but, you well, know, Godwin's go law, and I realize Godwin himself is still around, and he's retracted Godwin's law in the case of Trump. Godwin's law is, you know, the first person who mentions Hitler in an argument loses the argument automatically. Um, but uh, I, I just, you know, uh, I, particularly when talking to Republicans, I just don't think that that's going to work. Um, but Richard, okay. you know, come up with plan B, hey? Dan in Hopkins, Minnesota. Dan, what's up? Hey, Tom. In talking with, with some people, they we, they say that how is the comments made toward Elon Omar racist and maybe you can help. He me didn't out say here. it I to Elon Omar. He said they and their countries. There were four women yeah. that he was talking to, um, mm-hmm. and all four of them came. Their ancestors came from, or three of the four of them, their ancestors came from what countries that Trump has previously referred to as S-hole countries. It doesn't get more racist than that, Dan. But why, is, but why I just want to know, this is the tough part. Yeah, right. How is that racist just because their countries are in this, you know, in bad shape? How is that racist? Because the, because this is, this is the canard. This is the, this is the slur. This is like using the N-word and saying, oh, well, I was just describing people. The fact of the matter is, Dan, that it's insanely racist. Talk to a person of color. Hispanics, African-Americans, Asian-Americans routinely hear this as a slur, as an attack. They hear it in school. They hear it in the marketplace. The New York Times this week compiled stories from people all over the country. Um, you know, people of color uh, telling their stories of when they were told to go back to the country you came from. Nobody has ever told me to go back to Norway, right? Nobody has ever told me to go back to the country that my ancestors came from. Now, why is it that that every single black person that I know has had somebody yell at them, go back to Africa? And nobody's yelled at me ever, go back to Norway. That seems to me like a racial distinction. Edward in Culver City, California. Hey, Edward, what's up? Hey, Tom, how's it going? Tom, I feel like there's this blind spot that you and so many Democrats have. Because on the national level, to me, the elections come down to one thing, and that is taxes. If the Democrats win, your taxes are going up. Republicans win, your taxes are not going to go up. That's that's only true if you're a billionaire, Edward. Are you in the mind? Oh, right. So uh, I'm not. I'm. I'm arguing what is the perception of so many voters, even working class people. Working class people yeah. paid lower taxes back when the top tax rate was 91 percent. They paid much lower taxes relative to the overall tax revenue than when they did. Then, the, yeah, they did when you, when you Trump or when uh, Reagan started dropping the top tax rate. What happened was to make up for the loss of revenue from rich people, the taxes, Reagan raised taxes on working class people 18 times in eight years. The problem is that the messaging on this is totally controlled by the Republicans, and they have everybody, because I've seen you actually as well, have to justify to people why they should have to pay taxes for benefits that other people might receive because the, the Republicans have well, no, no. I've, I, wait a minute. Wait a minute. Uh, the point that I have made is not that, and, and it has to do with public school and now with college, 
frankly, is not that other people are receiving it, it's the society is receiving it, and you're a member of society, so you're, you're actually I'm, I'm benefiting. To my point. No, I'm getting to my point. Yeah. My point is that there is a philosophical battle over the long term that the Republicans seem to have won, and that is they've inflamed this concern that American voters have about the freeloader problem, Right. And that is so you can talk to somebody who works at McDonald's and they will complain about how much taxes is being taken out of their check. Yeah. I mean, this is where it's, and that's the difference between Europeans and Americans. Europeans really, they're willing to pay taxes. Well, and, and, and uh, also in Europe, in most European right? countries, when you get your tax statement at the end of the year, number one, the government does your taxes for you. And we don't do that here because the big tax preparing companies lobby against every effort to make that happen. And number two, in most European countries, when you get your taxes at the end of the year, you also get a list of what those taxes bought. And so people realize the value of what they got. And again, Republicans fight against you know any possibility of anything like that happening here in the United States. Edward, you raise a, a, a cogent point, and it's an important point. It's one that the Democrats need to take more seriously is strategically not just in messaging, but also in legislation. I mean, you know, we should be doing what, what European countries are doing to show people the value of their taxes. In uh, Where to Invade Next, in Michael Moore's movie, he actually talks specifically about this. So if you haven't seen Michael Moore's movie, check it out. Anyhow, thanks so much for being with us today. We'll be back to the same time, same place. In the meantime, don't forget, democracy is not a spectator sport. It requires you. Get out there, tag, you're it. We'll see you tomorrow. You've been listening to Tom Hartman. For audio and video archives, visit TomHartman.com. Look around. You can find cars like these on AutoTrader, like that car riding right your tail. Or if you're tailgating right now, all those cars doubling as kitchens and living rooms are on AutoTrader, too. Are you working out and listening to this ad at the same time? Well, multitasking pro, cars like the ones in the gym parking lot are for sale on AutoTrader. New cars, used cars, electric cars, maybe even flying cars. Okay, no flying cars, but as soon as they get invented, they'll be on Auto Trader. Just you wait. Auto Trader.